works things together, that our lesson today is on prayer. And uh, if there's something that Brother Guy needs this morning is he needs our prayers. And I mentioned to him, I, after I prayed with him, I said, I'm going to make sure that our church family is praying for you. And so the passage this morning revolves around uh, the, the life of Peter. And of course, not only Peter, but Peter, James, and John. Many times we looked, uh, maybe a couple weeks ago, where they were on the Mount of Transfiguration. And today, as we look at this passage in Matthew 26, and there's also parallel passages found in Mark's Gospel, Luke's Gospel, where Jesus knew that he was getting closer and closer to the cross, and he goes into that garden that we know as the Garden of Gethsemane. I've been in that garden back in March. Amazing place. Matter of fact, do we have a picture of that, Mike? Did I give you a picture of the garden? Do I have a picture of that? No? Maybe not. There it is. That's the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, can you see on that picture, look real careful. If you look in the distance, right between the trees in the middle, see the dome on the rock? Everybody see it? That's the Temple Mount, right? Can everybody see that? That Jesus, when he was praying in the garden, and, he, and great drops of blood as he prayed intensely, not my will, but thine be done. He was that close to the Temple Mount. I mean, it was just across the Kidron Valley. And Jesus was praying. We prayed in that garden. Brother Robert probably remembers praying in that garden. Miss Martha remembers praying in that garden. And what a, what a special time it was. We actually had a little service there, Brother Roman. Remember that? In that garden. And what a sweet time. But listen, I want to talk about that scene. And I, want, I put that picture up there because, number one, it's, it's the real place. But also, I want you to be thinking about that as we study this lesson this morning. Because as I entitled the lesson this morning, prayer is the work. It really is. It's, it's not easy to pray. It's hard sometimes. Especially what you're praying for. Can you imagine what Jesus was praying for and to whom he was praying it? And he asked these followers, disciples, to enter into that prayer time with him. And I want you to look in your Bible there in Matthew 26 or in the outline, beginning in verse 36, the Bible says this, Then cometh Jesus with him unto the place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. Anybody else ever use that word yonder? That's a good Bible word, but that's us simple folks, that's a word we use all the time. I'm going to go over yonder, you know. It's right there in the Bible. Verse 37, he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that would be James and John, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Notice when he went to pray, what he was praying about, he was sorrowful and very heavy. The Bible said that he says unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. 
And he cometh unto his disciples, and he findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is what? Weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Can you see this scene in that garden? Jesus goes in with Peter, James, and John. Again, those three were privileged to be there during this time of sorrow and heaviness in his heart. Now remember, Jesus wasn't agonizing. He knew that he had to be the propitiation for the sins of the world, your sins and mine. It was because of the sin of the world, the weight of the sin of the world that was on him. And the Bible says that he goes into the garden, he talks to the disciples, he goes away from them, he leaves them, and, and when he comes back, he finds them sleeping. Talks to them for a little bit, then he leaves them a second time and prays a little more, comes back, and guess what they're doing? Sleeping. When I look at this passage, here's what I think about is, if we're going to grow as a Christian, we have, to, we have to spend time with the Lord. You can't get around that. Nearness is likeness. You have to spend time with Him. And the more time you spend with Him, guess what? The more you're going to get to know Him. Remember, Jesus was always teaching. Everywhere He went, He took it as a, a moment, an opportunity to teach something. And as he left them there, he didn't go so far away from them that they could see and hear what he was doing. The example that he was giving to them about praying and spending time with the Father. See, prayer is a matter of obedience to the Lord. But prayer also is, and we're going to look at this this morning, it's overcoming the flesh. Because as we just read, the flesh is what? It's weak. Boy, we give in so easily, don't we? The flesh is weak. And so I want you to see three aspects this morning. Notice, first of all, we see the Savior sorrowed, and the Bible says he did it exceedingly. Now, I want to remind you that as we think about Jesus, the Son of God, that he was fully God and he was fully man. He was 100% God and 100% man. You know what we are? We're 100% pathetic. That's what we are. We're man, right? We're flesh and bone, and the Bible says the flesh is weak. But Jesus was all God, and he was all man. And Jesus sorrowed. Now think about that. He was, yes, God, but he was, yes, man, and he sorrowed. Look what the Bible says in Hebrews 4, describing the Lord. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Now let's just stop there for a second. 
Some of you, I know, you're struggling. You're dealing with things in your life. Some of you may be dealing with things that I don't even know, that nobody knows, but God knows. And the Bible says that he is aware, that he understands, he feels what you're feeling. Isn't it nice to know that God knows what we're going through? The Bible says that he's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. But listen to what it says in the end of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. But Jesus was in all points tempted like as we are, yet he was without sin. You see, Jesus, yes, he sorrowed. Isaiah described it this way. He is despised and rejected of man. Listen, a man of sorrows. That was well over 700 years before Jesus ever died on the cross. The Bible says he was acquainted with grief, and we hid as, as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Jesus sorrowed, the Savior sorrowed, and the Lord's response when Jesus, and listen, this is a lesson for all of us. I was talking to Maria this morning, and it's easy sometimes, especially when you're a spouse, and you don't know what's going on. And Maria, I, I could tell there was some anxiety this morning in the ER, and, and, and she's like, Pastor, I just, you know, if something happens, I just don't know what I'll do, and I said, listen, we need to do just like the Lord did when he sorrowed, he took it to the Father. That's what you and I need to do. I mean, it's a wonderful thing to have a, a church family and to have family and friends, Christian friends around you. But folks, listen, when we sorrow in our lives, let's follow the example. Let's walk in his steps. Let's, let's take it to the one that can actually do something about it. And so I want you to see the request to watch. Look at verse 40. Jesus says to them there in the garden, he cometh unto his disciples and he found them asleep and he saith unto Peter. Now remember a lot of times when it, it was Peter, James, and John, but many times it's, it's just Peter singular and Peter's with them. So really when Jesus is talking to Peter, he's talking to all three of them, but Peter's the one that was always the outspoken advocate, the one that always opened his mouth and said things before he thought. The Bible says that he says unto Peter, what, could you not watch with me one hour? Just think about that. I mean, we have, we have time for everything. Do we have time for God? Do we have time to spend with God? See, the request to watch, what was he asking them to do? Here it is. Same thing I hope you do this morning. Stay awake. Stay alert. Anybody tired this morning? I am. You know? I, I got the phone call from, uh, actually I think it was a text first time from Ian. Text me about six something to tell me about what was going on. And, and he said, sorry to wake you, Pastor. I said, I've been here at the church for an hour, Ian. And he's like, oh. <laughs> You know, sometimes people are awake, but they're not alert. You know, we could sit in church and daydream. Jesus says, look, what I'm about to do, you need to understand what is coming right after this time in the garden. I need you to stay awake. And so Jesus knew. Now, what did he know? He knew that as soon as he finished praying, 
that Judas was going to show up with all those people because Judas sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. He knew that he would be betrayed. Remember the Last Supper? They were dipping their, their, in the sop, the Bible says. And Jesus talked. And the, even the disciples, they didn't even suspect Judas. It's amazing because he was with them. They thought to themselves it would never be someone in this room. But Jesus knew what was going to happen. And so he, as he knew this matter of Judas coming with those that would betray him, Jesus knew that from there he would go through those trials. I walked the Via Della Rosa. I went to those places that when I grew up as a little Catholic boy, they, they called them the stations of the cross. They had little statues. Boy, it meant so much more to me to walk the road, to stop at the places where Jesus was flogged and beaten for my sins. And I thought about that. Jesus knew that the cross was coming. What, what was he doing? When he was in that garden, listen, he was preparing himself spiritually and emotionally for what was going to happen. Sometimes we, and I don't mean to make light of this, sometimes we show up at church, but we give no thought to what church really is. You know what church is? It's an opportunity for us to meet with God, to hear from to spend time, we're, we're so busy in our lives. We just run, run, run. And sometimes it's almost like, let's run into church and let's run out of church. No, you're missing it. You see, Jesus took time. Maybe what we need to do is take time to pray and prepare ourselves for when we come to meet with God. Because we have no idea... Listen, last night, Brother Guy didn't know when he went to bed that he'd be in the hospital this morning. We, we don't know what a day holds. I'm not trying to incite fear in anyone because I don't believe that's, that's what the Lord would have any of us do. God doesn't want us to have the spirit of fear. But I can tell you this, that we need to prepare ourselves. And he was asking his disciples, I want you to come into this ministry with me, this ministry of prayer. Look what it says there in your Bibles or in your notes in Hebrews chapter 7. The Bible says, By this man, because he continueth forever or ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth. Look at those words. He ever liveth. Aren't you glad that, un that, that unlike Buddha, that Jesus is alive forevermore. And not only is he alive forevermore, but guess what he's doing today? He's sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you and me. Listen, no lawyer can intercede on your behalf like Jesus can because Jesus is related to the judge. Jesus is making intercession. And what is he asking his disciples to do? Same thing he's asking us to do is that we are to keep an eye out in our lives. We need to be ever watching and warning people when it is necessary, when it's needed. And Jesus said, look, I want you to just be here. Stay awake, stay alert, pray for me. I mean, can you hear the Savior requesting for them to pray for him?
But notice, secondly, the request to pray. The Bible says in verse 41, he went, uh, he went away again the second time and prayed, O oh, my Father, if this, cup may pass, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. The Bible says in Luke chapter 22, when he was at the place, he said unto them, pray that ye enter not into temptation. Now, it's not enough just to watch. Remember, Jesus said, watch and pray. So in other words, he says, I want you to stay alert. Remember what the Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil. Look, we need to keep our eyes open. We need to watch, but we need to pray. We need to make sure that we're always praying. Because listen, somebody said, when we work, we work. When we pray, God works. And we need to make sure that we're praying. Praying always, the Bible says, uh, prayer should be a part of everything that we do. Pray without ceasing, 1 Peter 4, 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober, there it is again, watch, and watch unto prayer. Now, we can, we can encourage people, just like I tried to encourage Maria this morning, try to encourage her son, I try to encourage Guy himself. Well, how do you encourage them? With words. By praying for them. You'll never know what it means to someone when you say this and it, you actually do it. I'm praying for you. Anybody ever had somebody pray for you? It's made a difference in my life. Many of you pray for me, and I appreciate your prayers. I need it. I remember when I was in Bible college, and I'd come home. I had a wife and family, and we had moved to Tennessee, and, and we would go back to the state of Missouri to visit our parents. And when we'd go back, I'd go back to my home church, and there was always this couple, the Starks. Brother Starks would always come up to me, and he'd say, Brother Keeley, he says, every morning, at 5 o'clock, I, I call your name out to the Lord in prayer. I didn't know he was doing that. I said, Brother Starks, that means the world to me. I know I got through college because people prayed for me. I know I got through uh, every situation in, in life and ministry because people have prayed for me. And I want to pray for others. But think about this passage this morning. Jesus was asking them to pray for him. Pray for the Son of God. And so the request was, I want you to watch and I want you to pray. Why? Because the Savior was sorrowing, because he was bearing the weight of the sin of the world. And that was going to happen in a soon matter of time. But notice, as he sorrowed, secondly, what happened? Well, we've already said the disciples slept. See, often the case is, and I've been guilty of this myself, that, that we find ourselves in the flesh, and the flesh overcomes the spirit. It, it always does. The flesh is weak. And I want you to see verse 39 again. Look at it. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed and saying, Oh, my father. Now, look at it. We've read it already a couple times, but I want you to see it. Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Now, look at these next words. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. 
What are we talking about here? Letter A, the willingness of the Spirit. See, the disciples, they, they planned to do exactly what Jesus asked them to do. That was their plan. They wanted to go with him. They wanted to spend time with him. They wanted to pray. How many of you have, have, have said in your mind and your heart, I need to pray, or this is my time to pray, and you went to pray, but guess what? Your prayer time didn't quite happen like you wanted it to. Anybody besides me like that? <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I've had times when I've set out to pray and actually fell asleep praying. The flesh is weak. And, and they, these disciples, they, they listened to Jesus and they followed Jesus. They were close to Jesus. But listen, they, they, the flesh was something that, again, the willingness. Can I tell you from 1 Chronicles 28 there in your notes that God highly esteems. He values a willing spirit. Look at these words here in, in chapter 28, verse 9. Thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imagination of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. You ever play that game when you were a kid, hide and go seek? Right? Can I tell you, God does not play hide and go seek. There's a verse right there. If you seek him, he will be found of thee. The willingness of the Spirit. Are we willing to do whatever we can with whatever we have, whenever it's needed, wherever we are? Guess where they were? They were in the Garden of Gethsemane. They were just short of Jesus being arrested, put on trial, and being crucified for the sins of the world. And what were they doing? Sleeping. Sleeping. See, I see the willingness of the Spirit, but I also see the weakness of the flesh. The Bible says again in verse number 41, he says, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. Or in Luke, he said, pray that you enter not into temptation. The Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh, it's weak. See, despite their good intentions, guess what? They gave in, they fell asleep. They gave in, they fell asleep. And as long as we're in this world, guess what's going to happen? We're going to battle just like they did, because the flesh is weak. There's this battle between the flesh and the Spirit. They lust, they war against each other. If there's ever anybody, as far as God's wording in the Bible, if there's ever anyone that really understood this struggle, I don't know, there's probably a greater person than the Apostle Paul. He understood this, this battle every day. I told somebody yesterday, I said, I said, you know, the key in our lives is to be 100% filled with the Spirit. Because when, listen, when we're filled with the Spirit, guess what? There's no room for the flesh. A lot of times I illustrate it. I know a lot of you people like to drink coffee. I'm praying for you that you get that sin taken care of one of these days. But, but uh, I know coffee drinkers, they always amaze me because I've, I've always been around coffee drink. And when they fill a coffee mug, they always fill it to the rim. 
I mean, if I was going to fill it up, I, you know, now these younger coffee drinkers, they leave about this much room in the bottom of a mug like that so that they can pour that much creamer into their coffee. You know, so they don't drink coffee, they drink creamer with a little coffee in it is what they drink. But most coffee drinkers, they fill it to the rim, and, and a lot of times I'm thinking to myself, you're going to spill that all over the place. Most real coffee drinkers don't spill coffee. They just, it's too precious to them. It's like black gold, you know. And I think to myself that that's, in our lives, what God wants us to do is he wants us to be completely filled with his spirit. You know what will happen today when you leave church and somebody cuts you off while you're driving home and they, they almost hit your car instead of screaming, honking your horn, pounding, catching up to them, cutting them off? Does this sound like any of you? Because it sounds like it's me and my past. But if you watch this, if you're filled with the spirit, you just kind of smile. I had a guy yesterday, we went out door, knocking doors, and it, here's what always amazed me. You're sitting at a light, you're in your vehicle, and you're the one that pays your insurance, and the light, you're in a turn lane, left turn lane, going across a couple lanes of traffic, coming the other way, and there's cars coming, and there's someone behind you, the, your light turns green, not green arrow, green. And so you have to decide, do I have enough room is my car going to take off to actually turn and get out of the way before that guy? I have no idea how fast he's coming towards me on the other side. And so I, I, I just imagined that I had my wife with me because my wife always tells me, honey, just let him pass. Now, my flesh, I can make it. I can go, you know. But I had precious cargo in my car yesterday. I didn't have my wife. I had Gerald Gilbert with me. <laughs> and if anything happens to him, I don't want to stand before God and give an answer. And so this car was coming towards us, so I thought, I'm going to wait. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to wait. But the guy behind me didn't want me to wait. Now, it's, I'm the one sitting at the light. It's my call. You know what he does? he's pounding and I just went because I'm thinking if I take off and get in an accident you're going to be sitting back here safe as you know and I'm going to be paying the claim I might not I might have to give an account to God for brother Gilbert because it would have hit his side of the car you know but but think about this is the flesh is weak look what Paul describes in Romans and I won't read the whole the whole account, but a couple verses here, he writes, for that which I do, I allow not, for what I would, that do I not, but what I hate, that do I. For the good that I would, I do not, and the evil that I would not, that's what I do. <laughs> Sounds like he's in a dilemma, isn't it? You know, the, the flesh and the spirit, there's always this struggle going on, and that's what the disciples, that's what they were experiencing 
in their lives as they were there in that garden. The Bible says that Paul wrote to those in Galatia, the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These two are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. It's this constant battle going on. And I'm glad that when that is happening in our lives, what are we to do? Well, the psalmist said it this way, my flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. See, whenever I'm battling, I just need to give it to God. I just need to turn it. What was Jesus doing? When he went away from his disciples and spent time with the Lord, he, he was giving his life. He was giving the whole situation. Nevertheless, he says, not my will, but thy will be done. God, I'm willing to do whatever it is that you want me to do. And it's imperative that we understand, listen, that our flesh will always lead us away from God and our flesh will always lead us away from God's will. It always will. The songwriter wrote these words, the arm of flesh will fail you. Ye dare not trust your own. See, a lot of times when it comes to trusting people, has anybody ever locked their car? I, I lock my car. Now, again, if you don't lock your car, that's your prerogative. People say, I, you know, why do you lock your car? Because I don't trust people. But can I take it a step further? I don't trust myself. I'm not going to trust my flesh. Because I know that in me, that is in my flesh, there's nothing good. And this is what Paul and the Word of God wants us to understand, that, that we need to see how the flesh will fail us, how weak it is, and we find ourselves doing the very thing that we should not be doing, but aren't you glad that one day, because of Jesus, that we will be delivered from that? Amen. One day, all that's going to be behind us. So, this, listen, the, the Savior sorrowed, and He says, look, I just want you to do two things. Watch, stay alert, and pray. And while he went and prayed, what did the disciples do? They slept. But I want you to see what happened because he comes back and I see the disciples silenced. Look at verse 40. The Bible says, He cometh unto his disciples and he findeth them asleep. And he saith unto Peter, What, could you not watch with me for one hour? Now when you look at this here, it's, it, 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 Jesus had checked on them twice, and he found them asleep. And, you know, the flesh was weak, and it's kind of interesting because this is, unlike Peter's normal DNA, Peter didn't know what to say. He was silent. When I used to teach in, in the college in California, and uh, I had students in my classes, and I think I averaged... Um, about seven or eight classes per semester at the college. And in all my classes, if you put them all together, I think I had about seven or 800 students combined uh, for a semester. And I knew that these students, just like a lot of you, were very busy. I knew that they were working jobs and trying to pay their school bill. But I also knew that there was a lot of them that just liked to clown around. They would stay up late. They were supposed to be doing things, and they, just like I described there in Romans 7. 
And uh, I, I got to know the students pretty well. As a matter of fact, that was one of the things I tried to do when I was there was I didn't want to just be an instructor in the college. I actually wanted to be involved in their lives. That's, that's one of the big differences between a university and a Bible college is that the instructors really do care about their students. And so I knew when students came in, I knew which ones were working hard, working jobs, but I also would walk the campus on one or two nights every week, and I knew the students that were always in the gym playing basketball. And so when they would come into my classes, they would sit down and I would begin to teach. I would watch the students while I was teaching, like I watch many of you while I'm up here teaching. By the way, I don't mean that in a bad way. I want you, like Jesus wanted his disciples, I want you to get what God has for you this morning. And that I was the same way in the Bible college. I felt like, I don't know who's paying their school bill, but I'll tell you this, somebody is, and they should get what they're paying for. That's what I felt like. And I would see a few students that would kind of doze off in that. And, and as, as I was teaching, you know, one of the things that kind of unnerves students is when you walk around. And so as I would walk around while I'm teaching, it's, it's kind of funny because you start to see things shuffle, things get put underneath other chairs while I was walking around because I have a different vantage point now. And so I would see a guy sleeping and I, I would actually walk by and I'd just kind of do one of these. I'd just kind of put my hand on his shoulder. I'd never say anything. I'd just keep talking, just keep teaching. I'd put my hand on his shoulder. And many times he'd just open his eyes and kind of, kind of get himself together and start listening for maybe the next five, ten minutes or something. <laughs> but uh, there were other times where I would actually see one of these knuckleheads that was always in the gym and that, that wasn't working a job, that was independently wealthy. And he would come and sleep in my class. And so I would, a lot of times I would just, I would just kind of do one of these numbers and <laughs> I'd keep teaching. I was, I was pretty mean to those kind of people. But you know, the reality is even doing this, I still was trying to get him to understand that I wanted him to get it. I, my intention was never to throw this guy out of class, although he deserves it. You know, Cubans, I'll leave that one alone. <laughs> so, you know, here they are, they, they had failed the test. I mean, were, were they going to the cross? Were they going to go to the cross? Jesus was. They had the easy part. They were just supposed to pray. But I want you to see that the heaviness was strong. The Bible says their eyes were heavy. Sometimes I would tell the students, I'd say, hey, listen, if you need to, bring some toothpicks. Prop your eyes open. You know, whatever you need to do. But you know what happened? Listen, here's what happened while they slept. They missed it. They miss what? They miss the example of Jesus praying to the Father. How many of you would have liked to spend five minutes with Jesus? How many, how about this? How many of you would just like to hear Jesus say one thing? Wouldn't that have been awesome? I think about that a lot. These guys were so privileged 
but they, they missed overhearing his example. It was a missed opportunity. They'd never, listen, they'd never had this opportunity again. Why? Because he was going to go on trial. He was going to be crucified. He was going to ascend to be with the Father. They would never have this. They would never come back to the Garden of Gethsemane with him again. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us, but probably those disciples, Peter, James, and John, like we did, probably went to that garden many times after Jesus was crucified. Maybe for some of them, that became their favorite place to pray. Because they, they saw the example, but they missed that opportunity while Jesus was praying. And listen, we must not allow our weariness to keep us from what we need to be so desperately doing. And that one thing is what I'm trying to get across to you this morning is we need to make sure that we are having communion with the Lord. Well, how do you do that? We can't, physically can't, we, we can't go to the garden with him. We can't walk with him physically but we can go to him in prayer. We can commune with him. And this is what we need to do. The Bible says it this way, Psalm 55, evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. You know what that means? You can pray to him every day, all day. Anywhere you're at, you can pray to him. See, the heaviness was strong. Why? Because the hour was come. The Bible describes that Jesus was going to be betrayed. Look what he says in verse 45. Then cometh he to his disciples, and he said unto them, Sleep on now, take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Remember how there were other times where Jesus says, Look, it's, it's not time yet. But in this passage, the time had come. I mean, this was it, the hour, the whole reason Jesus came to seek and to save them that were lost. It was all about Calvary. And right before he went to the cross was this moment where he was communing with the Father. And, you know, I, I think that if you look at this passage and then maybe in, in their minds, Peter, James, and John, maybe later on, maybe a next day or a couple days later, Maybe the three of them wished that they had watched and prayed as Jesus asked them to do. But see, with temptation, we understand that our greatest need, with all that tempts us in the world today, our greatest need is still the same thing that Jesus told them to do in the garden. Listen, watch and pray. Watch and pray. Stay awake. Stay alert. Pray. Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me. While it is day, pray today. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't put it off. Peter says, but the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Folks, what is the Lord asking us today in light of this passage? He's asking us to do the same thing, to enter in with him into this ministry of prayer. But I'm not going to lie to you this morning. You probably already know what I'm about to say. Prayer is the work. It's hard to pray. It's a spiritual battle. It's not going to be easy to pray because you're going to find yourselves fatigued and distracted. And by the way, a lot of times the distraction could be the flesh, could be the devil, but distractions come. But with the Lord's help, 
we can draw closer to God. I want you to see this verse as we're dismissed. I know you've seen it before. Pray without what? Ceasing. Always in a spirit of prayer. Amazing passage this morning. Let's not fall asleep as a Christian. Let's make sure that we're praying, watching and praying. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Pray that you would just bless not only what has been said, but Lord, that you would help each one of us to realize that we have this opportunity, this ministry to come boldly before the throne of grace, to bring our petitions to you, to make them known unto you. Today we lift up our brother, many others that are struggling, that you'd be with each one of them. Lord, I pray that you'd be with those that are here in the auditorium this morning. Many are, are battling and dealing with things in their own lives. May this be a great example to us that when we are sorrowing, exceedingly sorrowing, that we would do what Jesus did, and that is we would bring our request to the Father because we know that you will hear and that you will answer. Thank you again for the privilege that's ours to spend time with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.